Amen, guys. I'm impressed. We were too. I'd be scared to death to do something without music. Y'all guys did a great job, man. Good job. I had such a um, great weekend with young couples getting married. Um, I know yesterday I sat up there and, man, I was really rooting for Donald at that wedding. He said children and I thought he was going to break. All that emotion came pouring out and he got it all back together. And then, you know, it was funny because it, it struck me as, um, actually I thought about both couples uh, sharing that covenant of love. And man, and I got overpowered and I turned and looked at my wife and I thought, I sure do love her. I've been married 21 years and my love for her, she's just awesome. God has blessed me so much. So I started getting teary-eyed. And, you know, of course, kids are always going, because they're looking to see, because they know we're crying, stuff like that happens. And then after afterward, uh, of course, talking to Becky and Trace, Corey Madeline heading up to Vermont, and how far away that is, and how much you love your kids. And then just so, so much. You know, God... Of course, it's just so easy to love you guys. It's so easy to love you. And uh, I just found myself overwhelmed realizing how much I do love everybody. And it was so much fun going to tables. You don't have enough time just to do reception. Just see everybody. I hate sometimes when we have time here, you know, we go around seeing everybody. I get about two, three rows and I think, man, I can get anywhere. It's not that I don't love you. I probably ought to start. I alternate. I'll start the back one time and then start front the next time so I don't just go so far. But... Uh, Really, uh, anyway, what a blessing. Uh, we're going to be looking in Matthew 26 and 28 this morning. I want to talk about the compassion of God and His love toward us. But actually for our scripture reading, I want us to, uh, I want to read aloud from Hebrews 4 verses 14 through 16 and then we'll jump in the heart of the message, so. Encourage you to find Hebrews four, fourteen through sixteen, and then I want to ask you to stand in God's honor as I read from the Scriptures. Therefore, since we have a great High Priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's pray. Father, it's good to be in your house today, to worship you and... uh, Father, we are so grateful You love us with such an awesome love, God. And uh, help me as I seek to preach this morning. Father, uh, may You just work through me, God. I don't pretend to be able to uh, do anything of eternal value unless Your Holy Spirit and anointing is there. So Lord, we just plead and beg with You to do that, God, uh, through this time that our time of worship may be that, a time of worship, God, that we may continue to put our hearts toward You, the living God. We love You, Lord, and we just 
We just want to hear from you. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, it is so easy in church to go through the movements, to go through the motions of church. You come week after week, you show up, you leave. You come back. You do your time. You walk out the door. And you can do that week after week and you can be faithful and you can be loyal and you can be committed and yet you can miss God. You can, you can miss His heart. You can miss what He wants for you. You can, you can miss the joy and the emotion that He wants you to experience. It's easy to do that. It's easy to go through the motions and miss the Master. We listened to a, a couple of stories on tape on the way back from Florida. And one we listened to, I won't spend a whole lot of time on it, was a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who ended up being executed in Germany during the Nazi regime because uh, he spoke the truth and he had a heart for the Jews that were being persecuted. And he, he was changed. He, he came from a background that was cold and calculated where you thought through your idea of faith in God, but it didn't really touch your heart. And he ended up doing... Uh, going to New York and working in Harlem and doing a work with, with some churches where, man, they worship with some, some emotion from the heart. And it touched him and it changed him as, as God got a hold of his heart and he realized that it's in your head, but it's gotta be in your heart too. And it touched him. And I, um, the church that uh, I was a believer in, uh, I became a Christian as a teenager. Great church. And the pastor was a good preacher. He preached the Word. But he wasn't the easiest guy to, to go up to and to talk to. You know, I mean, you'd, you'd kind of go up to him and you'd shake his hand and he was polite. But, you know, every hair was in place. and He was always dressed to a T. Matter of fact, it was always intimidating to me because I thought, when, when I felt God's call in my life, I thought, God, I can't do that. I can never be that pretty. I can never dress up that good. And, you know, as a model... And, uh, well, just to be quite honest with you, although I love the man, I just didn't feel close to him. But I remember uh, when my dad died, in my family, my dad was somewhat of a a hero. And it's funny, almost a bigger-in-life kind of person. You know how you love your, your family. We went to the church, Cindy and I, went to the sanctuary, and she had brought some music, and... Uh, we were kind of playing and singing in the sanctuary. In came my pastor. He walked in and he saw me. And he immediately ran over to me and hugged me and cried. I had never seen that side of him. He was always a cold, calculated preacher who, who man, he, he was eloquent. I didn't sense he was compassionate. And of course, my whole view changed. Why? Because, man, he connected with me. He, he felt my heart and my, my loss. He didn't have to say anything. He was there. You know what's really awesome about our God? Is He cares. He has a heart of compassion. He loves you. And He wants you to know that. 
And, and we're going to look this morning uh, just at a couple of passages that remind us how we have a high priest who sympathizes with us because he's been there. And uh, I want to look at uh, Matthew 26. And we're just going to look, uh, going to kind of march down through a couple of scriptures here and be reminded of the fact what our Lord went through. We'll start out for our read, thinking about a couple of questions here. Have you ever been lifted up, held one day, and nailed the next day, nailed up the next day? One day, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, as we say in the mountains, and the next day, you stink worse than the skunk that's been run over. Man, it's tough to be applauded one day and then criticized the next day. Have you, have you ever been there? Have you ever spent all night struggling with a decision and you couldn't sleep and you, you thought, what do I do, God? And you're just worried sick. Have you ever felt so alone, so totally alone, that you could just die? You thought, God, it... I just don't even want to live. Have you ever been that down? Have you ever, have, have you ever been that depressed? Well, welcome to life. At one point or another, we've all related to those uh, deep feelings. And so, Jesus was there. He was there. Let's look at the account of... Uh, as he's in the garden. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there and pray. Now Gethsemane is a beautiful garden. It's a place where if, if you know a tourist would want to go and hang out. It's a place where you just look and say, wow God, look at what you have created. How can I doubt your existence? This is so beautiful. And yet, this was the place where He suffered. Sometimes when we suffer, it doesn't seem like a place of suffering. Sometimes things can be going so great all around us and we can be in a place where we want to be and all of a sudden, there's suffering. You don't volunteer for suffering. Lord, here I am! Bring the pain! Bring the suffering! That's not how it works. But it comes. And Jesus experienced it. He knew what was before Him. He knew that before Him was the cross, was the suffering. And He's fully God, but guys, He's fully human. And so He, he struggled with that suffering. As we look in this account, he, what did He do? He needed to pray. So He went with His disciples, His followers, to this beautiful garden, and He said, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He was hurting and he just wanted some friends close by. He knew he needed to be with the Father, but he still wanted some friends close by. Have you been there? Uh, 
I read about Abraham Lincoln. Uh, I've always had admiration for Lincoln when I read about him. One of the things Abraham Lincoln liked to do during the war was to visit the hospitals and see the soldiers that were wounded. He's a very compassionate man. He saw this one soldier that was near death. And he walked over to the soldier and he said, Son, can I do anything for you? And he said, I need somebody to write a letter to my mom. He said, do you think you could do that? He said, sure. So he got some paper and a pen. He began to write. And he wrote, uh, here was what the soldier had him write. My dearest mother, I was badly hurt while doing my duty, and I won't recover. Don't sorrow too much for me. May God bless you and Father. Kiss Mary and John for me. The young man was uh, too weak to go on, so Lincoln signed the letter. Written for your son by Abraham Lincoln. When he heard that, when the soldier heard that name, he said, Are you really President Lincoln? And uh, he said, Yes, sir, son, I am. Can I do anything else for you? He said, well, I know I'm about to die. He said, do you think you could just sit with me, hold my hand? And that's what President Lincoln did for the next hour as the young man died. What the young man needed, he, he didn't need this authority figure that came in and grandeur and said, I'm President Lincoln. What can I do for you? He needed somebody who cared, who had a heart of compassion. And that's what President Lincoln supplied. And that's our God. He is the high priest that sympathizes in every way. And we see him here. He's in the garden. He's, he's praying. And I want you to notice something as, as he prays. He, it says in verse 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground. And he prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. As we read in another account, he was praying so hard, sweat fell from his face like blood. He was in agony. In in verse 38, he he says, My soul's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He's struggling as he prays and as he's honest before God, as he comes before Him and he prays and he comes back and he finds his friends snoring, finds them asleep. And he says, uh, in verse 40, he says, Could you men not keep watch with me for an hour? So watch and pray so that you'll not fall into temptation. The Spirit's willing, but the body's weak. What's He do? It says He goes back another time. Do you know, sometimes when the bottom falls out and we're struggling, there's nowhere else to go but to God. Nobody else can fix it. Nobody else can supply the comfort we need. And so the one place you can always go is to God. Jesus went there. And, and you know, when He went there... You know, did God say, Foom, it's fixed, my child, it's fixed. No, He didn't do that. And so what did He do? He came back to His friends and He found them sleeping. They couldn't help. So what did He do? He went back to pray. And what did He do? He, he prayed the same prayer. He didn't pray a different prayer. My Father, if it's possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. If it's not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. He came back a second time and he found them sleeping again because their eyes were heavy, it tells us. 
And he left them in a third time. He prayed. Three times. Same prayer. Same burden. God didn't immediately take it away. It says in verse 45, He returned to His disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? The hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed in the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Let's just be honest about it. Sometimes your soul can be burdened and you can be facing some obstacle that's so big you think you're going to break. And you go to the Father to pray and for whatever reason... You don't get that immediate answer. And so you go back again and you pray and you still feel burdened. You go again. He went three times and you think, surely the Father would take away this burden from Jesus. Surely He would remove it. Surely He would answer that prayer because this is the one that walked in perfect communion with Him. He, he didn't sin. He, he was completely obedient to the Father. And in this time of suffering, what did He do? He submitted Himself. And yet what happened? He heard the sound of soldiers and a betrayer coming toward him. Not the sound he wanted to hear. Verse 47, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with him, the one I kiss as the man arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Few things hurt worse than to be betrayed by someone you completely trust. To some degree, we've all kind of been there. Maybe it was a family person uh, that you love, a business partner. I don't know, the list kind of goes on. Betrayal stings. Man, it hurts to get stabbed in the back. I'd much rather somebody come up to my face and chew me out. At least I can see what's coming. But man, it hurts when they stab you in the back. And yet Jesus knew the betrayal was coming. And and notice how He handles it. Notice what He says. Verse 50. Friend, do what you came for. Jesus, the one who immediately could have stopped all of this, But He did not do it. He submitted to the Father. He went through the suffering and the difficulty. And you know, I am so glad as you march through this account and you see that Jesus was betrayed and you see the mock trials and you see the beatings and the scourging and Him hanging from the cross. I'm glad that's not the end of the story. I want to read to you. This is a. Sometimes we hear this story so much that you know it's, it becomes a church story and it kind of loses its newness. I want to read an account. This is from a guy named Michael Green who who wrote about Jesus. He was a traveling teacher, a jobbing builder by trade. He had fallen foul of the authorities. After a burlesque of a trial, he was led to die outside the city walls of Jerusalem, the main town on one of the most insignificant provinces on the edge of the Roman map. The year was about A.D. 30. The time was 9 o'clock in the morning. They crucified him. Three simple words. They crucified him. Not at all pleasant, but it happened to a great many people in those days. No worse than what takes place in the torture chambers of 70 countries of the modern world today. Yet it has become the most famous death in history. It was a messy business. The physical effects of crucifixion were horrid. 
Of all deaths, it's the most lingering and agonizing. The unnatural position of the body made every movement a pain, the suspension of the whole body from jagged iron nails. By the way, they found one of those nails dated 50 A.D. in Jerusalem. Those nails were driven through the most sensitive nerve centers in the wrists and the ankles. This issued constant, exquisite torture. The wounds of the nails soon became inflamed and even gangrenous. The body's position hindered circulation and caused indescribable pain in the chest. A raging thirst set in, brought on by the burning sun. The flies were thick around the victim. The agony of the crucifixion was terrible beyond words. And yet, this is what Jesus submitted to. And why did He do it? Because of you. Because of me. Because He's a God of compassion. He's a God that loves you so much, He wants to connect with you. That's our God. And it's beautiful to know that. And now I get to... This is a scripture. We're going to go on to chapter 28, which is just great news. Great hope that we have. You see, there was a need. Think of it as two hills. There's a hill of condemnation and there's a hill of hope. And and then there's a chasm. And there needs to be a bridge in order to get from the hill of desperation and condemnation to the hill of hope. And that bridge is Jesus. And let's look through the account here. It says, uh, chapter 28, After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb rolled back the stone and sat on it. Isn't it great to know that the stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out but to let the people in? Jesus is God, all-powerful. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of Him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as He said. Come and see the place where He lay. Then go quickly and tell His disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see Him. Now I have told you. (laughs) So the women hurried away from the tomb afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. Man, talk about a change of emotion from desperation being broken, the problem being insurmountable, to Jesus is alive. That same hope is ours. He's the resurrected Lord who promises us resurrection power and ultimately the resurrection. (laughs) What a hope. The God of compassion who knows where you are and loves you. I'll close with this illustration. S.D. Gordon, a preacher in the Boston area that was known for compassion and heart. He came into church one day and he brought an old rusty birdcage. He set the birdcage down on the pulpit. And then he began to tell the story. He said, I was uh, walking the place where I lived uh, one day. And there was this little boy. And he was carrying this birdcage and it was full of birds. And he, man, he looked like a rough little boy. I thought, what is he going to do with these birds? And so he walked up to the, to the little boy and 
He said, son, got some nice birds there. What do you plan to do with them? He says, well, mister, I think I'm going to have some fun with them. He said, I'm going to get me a stick. I'm going to tease them and pick on them, poke them and prod them. Then I'm going to see if I can torture them a little bit, maybe set fire to them or something, you know. He said, then when I'm done with them, he said, I know cats like them. He said, so I just give them to the cat. Gordon thought, I want those birds. So he said, son, uh, how much you want for those birds? The little fellow squinted his eye and he looked up at the preacher and he said, well, two bucks. To his amazement, the little boy's amazement, the preacher dug in his pocket and he pulled out two one dollar bills and handed them to the little boy. And the little boy says, Sir, you don't understand. You don't want these birds. They're not good for anything. Well, they, they can't sing and they're ugly. There's nothing. What? They're worthless. What could you possibly want with these old birds? The preacher didn't say anything. He just took the cage walked around to the other side of the building and opened the door and prodded the birds out. And they flew away free. Then S.D. Gordon began to uh, preach. (laughs) He said, you know, there was years ago in the Garden of Eden, there was a confrontation there with God and the devil devil said, you know, I set me a trap in that garden and got me a whole world of people. He says, I plan on teasing them a little bit, poking them, prodding them, letting them suffer, let them get married, let them go through divorce, let them beat and kill one another, let them torture one another, ridicule one another, bring pain to one another. So I'm just going to have me a good time with those people. Then the Lord said, well, what do you intend to do with them after you tease them and play with them a while? He said, well, then I plan to condemn them and kill them. And the Lord said, "Uh, what do you take for those people? He said, I'll take all of your blood and all of your life. And the Lord said, soul. And Jesus opened the cage. And He let us free. Is that your testimony? Is that your story? Hey, look, man. uh, My sister liked to say we're all wounded children. It's true. But we have a Savior who is the healer. Do you know the healer? Oh, look, it's not such a big deal if you... Leave here today and forget me. But man, is it a huge deal if you forget Jesus. He loved you too much to escape the cross. It was tough. He prayed in that garden and the sweats fell, sweat fell like blood from His brow because it was a struggle. He didn't want to suffer, but He loved you more. We're going to have a time moment. We call it response, invitation. It's a time to do business with God. Maybe you need to come to the altar and maybe you need to pray. We have VBS coming up. And by the way, I need to make an announcement with VBS. I got up there, Travis had brought up. Next Sunday night, 6 o'clock, 
having a hot dog kickoff, bring the kids and families in and invite everybody. So let's uh, get to work on that for next week to enjoy Bible school. And we got Bible school, we got block party. Guys, we got a chance to connect with people. We got a chance to tell people, you feel like you're trapped, you feel like you're in a cage, you feel like people don't love you. But Jesus does. We have that opportunity before us. And of course, we always have that opportunity, but we have two great uh, vehicles to do that with VBS and the block party. Let's, uh, let's show them that Jesus loves them. Let's uh, let the Lord work through us. Maybe you need to come, you need to pray. Maybe you just need to come and pray. Maybe there's someone here, for whatever reason, you know Jesus, but only from a distance. You've never, you've seen God as cold and calculated. And church is something you sit through instead of seeing a God who really loves you and wants to set you free. I don't want anybody to miss that kind of love. You can bow your heart and now you can say, Jesus, you know me. You know my mess. You know I'm the hurt child. Enter my life. Forgive me. Because you are Lord. Make me new. Thank you for loving me. And He promises to begin a new journey. Because it has to move from the head to the heart.